of David. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask of me things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul was bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother, as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnashed at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. Let not those who rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, And let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord. Be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication. For my cause, my God, And my Lord, vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. And let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say forevermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us bow our heads and ask him to bless its preaching and our hearing this morning. Indeed, be with us, Lord, be with your servant as he explains the word to us. May he do so accurately and powerfully. Be with us as we hear it. Lord, may we be attentive. 
May we be eager to hear the message that you would give to us through this word which is given for our benefit. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we look at Psalm 35. It is one of those psalms that is attributed to David, but it isn't one that says when or how it was written or the the exact circumstances. It could come from a situation possibly like that in 1 Samuel 24. Uh, There David was on the run from Saul. He was being chased. He was being hunted as some of the imagery in our psalm speaks of. There's also military images here of warfare, and he was running away uh, from the army of the king. He was also accused falsely of being a threat to Saul. But it's not exactly certain, but it it does fit uh, well with the context we have here. Psalm 35, we we also have what is a sort of cycle that is repeated uh, three times uh, throughout the length of this psalm. It is a somewhat lengthy psalm, 28 verses. And not as lengthy as some, but certainly not as short as, as others we have seen. Uh, but in each section, I, I think it breaks out pretty easily into the first 10 verses, then verses 11 through 18, and then 19 through the end. And in each one, there are three different points that are made. And they each have a different weight or a different emphasis in each section, but all three of them come up. In each one, there are calls for God to act. There are pleas where David says, Lord, I plead with you, do this. In each one, uh, we also see what are sometimes called laments or descriptions of the pain that David finds himself in, the, the situation he's going through. This is what the problem is. They show that David is suffering injustice as he is attacked in a way in which he does not deserve. And then finally, each section ends with a promise to praise the Lord when the Lord does act and when the Lord delivers that David will raise his voice and even the voices of others will be raised in praise of God for his deliverance. Through this psalm, we, we see the prayers of David Prayers for God to act. We see descriptions of what he goes through. And we see promises that God would be praised. What we also see here in some very stark ways are foreshadowings of what we see later in Scripture in the New Testament. Because God too has suffered injustice in Christ Jesus, His Son. And yet God delivered Him And God will, by Jesus Christ, one day bring the righteous judgment which Jesus asks for to all. This psalm of David shows us how we can trust in deliverance in Christ Jesus. We can also trust in final justice which Jesus Christ will bring. Let us turn then to the first cycle, those first ten verses. And these are characterized uh, in a fairly uh, emphatic way by David's call to judge his attackers. David's call on God to bring judgment on his attackers. It starts out with this plea. It begins uh, this section with the plea where David makes his prayers to God and he 
He says, God, be an advocate and be a warrior. That's what he wants God to do. Be an advocate and a warrior. He uses two metaphors here. Uh, the word contend in Scripture is, uh, is used in Hebrew uh, for lawsuits, for legal struggles and battles. And that imagery comes up throughout. And he says, Lord, come to my defense. Show that I am falsely accused. Fight with them. Uh, but some lawsuits, obviously, when people are falsely accused, can end in violence. It can end in capital punishment. And that sort of flows into his other metaphor, the metaphor of warfare. And he says, Lord, be a warrior and fight for me. Take up weapons. Grab your armor. It is time for battle. Fight and save me. That is what David asks for. And he tells, tells God, God, please judge my attackers. Judge those who are attacking me. He asks that they might be given shame and dishonor. That they might be turned back. And in some ways, this reminds us even of Scripture's language of eternal damnation. Daniel 12.2 talks about the many who sleep in the dust of the earth who shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. He says, Lord, bring that contempt upon those who are attacking me. He speaks here as we saw in Psalm 34 as well of the, the angel of the Lord. Remember from last week, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. What is David asking for the angel of the Lord to do for those who don't fear God, but those who attack and persecute His people. He says these people ought to be made like chaff, blown away. The angel of the Lord is the wind who drives them away in judgment. He then uh, speaks of them as, as those, they are, they are those who pursue and persecute the innocent. And He says, let that return on their heads. Let them be persecuted and pursued by the angel of the Lord through, he says here, dark and slippery places where they try to get away, but they slip and stumble and fall. The angel of the Lord chases them. As David asks for these things, these are, are stark images. But he tells us that these are just judgments which he asks the Lord to bring. These are, these are not judgments of sort of personal vendettas that David says, Lord, I want you to do my bidding and punish those who I don't like. But the judgment which he calls on is a just judgment for the sin of these people. He illustrates that with the use of the net as he kind of uses the language of the hunt. These people are, are hunting me. He says, they hid their net without cause and without cause dug a pit. And then in his prayer he says, let him be caught in that net. The one which he himself has dug. It's poetic justice which David is asking for. You've made your bed, now you must lie in it. In this way, God will destroy the enemy. God will bring him to destruction and in doing so, in a way that, that illustrates the justice of his judgment, he uses the very thing that the enemy wanted to be the destruction of David to destroy him. That will be 
his downfall. That is what David asks for here. And as we read this, it's not something that many are very comfortable with. Praying for death, destruction, contempt to come upon these people. But it is a part of God's Word which indeed is given for us. And especially as we see the justice illustrated in David's prayer, we remember and are reminded of the heinous nature of sin. Sometimes we want to excuse it. Sometimes we want to think, oh, it's not that bad. At least I'm not as bad as that other person. Hitler's always the one that comes up, right? Maybe these days it will be changed to Putin and he's the one and another 20 years, everybody will say, oh, at least I'm not that bad. But children, what do we learn in our catechism? What does every sin deserve? Wrath and curse of God. That's what David is praying for, is the justice of God to bring what is due for sin. When you're talking about this recently and about how sometimes we talk about things that aren't fair. We reminded our children, you know, the fact that you get anything good in this life isn't fair. It's God's common grace. It's God's common grace that gives you one day of sunshine, one ounce of pleasure in this life. We don't deserve any of it. So we see David crying out. He cries out to God. He says, God, deliver me, but God also bring judgment upon them. And then he, he turns in verse 7 to his lament. It's very brief in this section. He just describes it as, as we've read the, the net that is hidden, the pit that is dug in order uh, to ensnare. He's being pursued. And he says, Lord, this is what they are doing to me. And this is what they are doing. And, and he repeats it twice Without cause. It's one of the reasons David is crying out for justice is because he's saying what they are doing is not just. I don't deserve this. They don't have a reason to be chasing after me, digging pits and, and hiding nets that I might be trapped. They're doing it without cause, persecuting the innocent. And that is why they deserve this judgment. And then David concludes as he, he does each section showing the hope he still has by promising to praise God. He says, When you act, Lord, then my soul will rejoice in Yahweh, exulting in His salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Again, speaking of the injustice done and picking on the poor and the helpless, saying, Lord, is there anyone like you? Is there anyone like you who delivers when all hope is lost? He looks forward to rejoicing even in the midst of being hunted and maligned and fought against. He wants to praise God in some ways like Moses did after the Exodus when, when he sang that great song and said, who indeed is like the Lord? It was even in that context, the angel of the Lord protecting his own people and fighting against the Egyptians. And he says this conviction 
that the Lord's deliverance will be spoken from the depths of his being, from his soul, from his very bones, he will cry out and praise God because he knows he cannot save himself. But this deliverance comes from the Lord. That is what David says in this first cycle. And then he, he moves on to the next. After this cycle, which is focused so much on the judgment of those who pursue him, he begins the second cycle. And this one is focused more on the injustice which he experiences, the, the injustice which he experiences. The focus here comes more on the lament aspect. It was just one verse, uh, verse 7 in that first section, but here he expounds upon that. And so as the lament begins, he brings back the courtroom language. He's asked the Lord, contend for me because I'm in trouble. I need a good lawyer because false witnesses have risen up. And what they say is not true, but they're, they're actually called here violent witnesses because the words that they speak could do him harm. And they accuse him of things and he doesn't even know what they're talking about. That's what's going on. And, and again, we saw it was without cause that they do this to him. Again, like David and Saul. Remember, David was good to Saul. He played the harp for him. He was a faithful servant. And yet Saul chased him away. David speaks here of the good which he did. And, and as David speaks of this, it sort of aggravates the wrong which these people commit against him, doesn't it? He says, not only I didn't do anything to them at all, I actually did good to them. And they were paying me evil for the good I did. He says, I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth and I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with my head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. So there's these people and, and David is doing basically what Paul tells us to do in Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And they are in a bad spot. And David prays for them. David weeps and mourns for them. And it's not just a flippant word. Oh, I'm so sorry that happened. I'll pray for you. And then you, you forget it. He afflicts himself. He wears sackcloth. He fasts. He is too emotionally disturbed by what's happening to them to even eat himself. That's how much his heart is going out to them. These are the, the outward expressions of a mourning heart within. When they are in trouble. When things are bad for them, that is what he does. But how is it that they repay him? And at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches I did not know tore at me without ceasing. They gnashed their teeth at me. He shows how alone he is in the midst of this. That they are all gathered. They are all together and, and grouped. And they're opportunists. When they were down, David afflicted himself and abased himself with them. Yet when he is down, they gather and say, this is it. This is our opportunity. We've got him. We've got him. Their attacks are, are constant and without ceasing, they are mocking him. They are tearing at him like a, a lion. That is how they have repaid him. How in, unjust is this? 
of David's attackers and pursuers. To kick a man when he's down. And not any man, but the man who has done so much for them. And so this is why David cries out to God. He says in verse 17, How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. And he kind of has illustrated how long it's been in this section because all of these verses which have been devoted to what they are doing and how bad it is. Lord, don't you see? Lord, why don't you act? Will you not deliver me? And yet still in the midst of it, he promises praise. He promises praise and he said his praise will not be private. He says, Lord, deliver me. Rescue me and I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng of people. We will, we will lift up our voices to praise you because such a great deliverance deserves the praise not of one man only, but of all God's people. Of David who is the anointed one to be king and of all God's people who are blessed through that king. And his praise is meant to encourage others and, and turn others to look upon the Lord as He Himself has been delivered. We've seen David's calls for deliverance and judgment. We see his description of injustice as the second cycle focuses on. And finally, we get a sort of more balanced approach in the last. It does have lament. This third cycle, David cries out again for deliverance. But he, he talks about these people and he says that they are wrongfully his foes. He describes them as treating the peaceful of the land as those with whom they are at war. Devising evil strategy, opening wide their mouths, looking to say, now is our chance, jump on him. He is in misery, he's vulnerable. Let's get him now. They see his own misfortune as their victory. There's a proverb that says we aren't to do that. We aren't to rejoice in the downfall even of our enemies. And yet they did it to David. And so for this reason, he again turns to the Lord in prayer. Let them not rejoice. They are eager to say your defeat is our victory. Let them not win. He wants to rejoice in the deliverance and justice of God. He says, don't let them rejoice in the evil and injustice that happens. Vindicate me. Bring your righteous judgment. Not the false judgment which they seek to pronounce against Him. Don't let them triumph. Instead, deliver me. They say they have seen it. They see their opportunity. But Lord, you see all things. Lord, come and act. Lord, bring them to dishonor as they have dishonored me. And once more, again, throughout, ending every section, David promises praise. And again, it is corporate praise. Praise from all of God's people. Those who delight in the King and His righteousness then will rejoice when the King is delivered. And will shout for joy and be glad because the wicked are not glad in their injustice. Great 
is the Lord who delights in welfare. What a contrast to these guys who delight in calamity and downfall in affliction. And yet the Lord takes delight in blessing his people. These things they will say forevermore. And David says, I will give you praise all day long. And praise will continue forever and ever. David indeed is persecuted unjustly. And so he prays to God to deliver him and to punish those who wrong him, repaying him evil for the good he has done. And he promises this never-ending praise for the deliverance which he asks God to bring. The deliverance which he knows is coming. And in these ways, David points us to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who quoted this psalm as He came to His final hours on the earth. In John 15, He said, The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated Me without a cause. Jesus said, They hated Me without a cause, just as they have done to David. So our praise indeed will abound to God through Jesus Christ. Because just like David Christ was an innocent sufferer. There's another catechism question for you kids. Did Jesus ever sin? No. He lived a sinless life. See, we are all born sinful in Adam, but Christ was not. And Christ never committed a single sin in His life. He loved His Father with all His heart and He loved His neighbor as himself. And we, we see in Jesus Christ a reflection also of, of what David suffered here despite how good he was. David suffered injustice from those with whom he commiserated. He tried to comfort and he prayed for. And they returned that with evil and wrong. How much more do we see this in Jesus Christ? We see the blessings and and goodness and generosity of Christ in creation. As we mentioned at the end of Sunday school, And every breath we breathe is a gift from the Lord of His grace. He made a good world for us to live in and, and in His providence, He is sustaining the world and sustaining us in it. He is sending His reign upon the just and the unjust. And as David says in another psalm, Every sin we commit, even when we do wrong to other people, is first and foremost a sin against God. It's a sin against God. The God who made us and takes care of us. Even when we harm others, we are sinning and rebelling against the character of God because God delights in blessing and doing goodness to His people. But how much more do we see this in the Incarnation? When God Himself and Jesus Christ donned the sackcloth of living in a fallen world with decaying flesh, who lived with all of the cares and sadness of our world, who, who came to dwell with us. How did Adam and Eve change when they sinned? Instead of being holy and happy, they became sinful and miserable. And Christ afflicted Himself with that misery on earth. He who is without sin coming into the miserable existence of a a sinful world. 
That is what he did. He did good. Think about his last hours. I heard somebody put it this way. You know, you maybe think, what would you do if you only had a little while left to live? Stop eating salad. Go get some donuts. <laughs> say, I'm not going to save anymore for retirement if I'm going to die tomorrow. Jesus washed the feet of Judas, who he knew would betray him with his last hours. And how much does that highlight the injustice of the sins against him? The false witnesses who rose up against him and spoke all these things. He never did. They hated him without a cause. Here though in Christ, we also see this difference. In some ways, we, we see a contrast with David. Because what did Christ pray as he was on the cross? In Luke 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. David prays here for justice and for judgment. But Christ, in the midst of undergoing judgment, of undergoing injustice at the hand of those whom he blessed with life, who as God the Son, as he was dying on the cross as a man, at the same time was eternal God, sustaining the world by the word of his power, granting life, to every man who was killing him, prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As we read these psalms, we must keep in mind the Old Testament context. And we have, we have done that so often as we have seen laments and prayers for deliverance in the psalms. And we have said that what is eternal is pictured in the psalms and in the Old Testament is happening in this life. David could not give us a picture of the deliverance of the Lord after death because we wouldn't see that. We don't see the afterlife. And so God pictures in the Old Testament His final deliverance by delivering David from death itself. And we've seen that over and over. But even so here in this psalm, judgment that is prayed for and pictured by David in the Old Testament is a picture of the eternal justice and the eternal judgment that is to come but that does not yet come in this life. Yes, we live in a cursed world. We work by the sweat of our brows, battling thorns and thistles and briars, picturing God's wrath against sin, but His full judgment is held back. And it's held back because of the work of Christ. What David talks about here, bring death and shame to them now, is, is not the end, but it is a foretaste, we might say, of wrath divine if we are to twist the hymn. So that while there is a contrast in David's prayer for judgment and Christ's prayer for mercy, it is not an absolute contrast. It's a contrast of when. Jesus opens up the way for forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness which we all need. 
because he went all the way to death itself. The painful and shameful death of the cross which he died. But that way is not open forever. Christ will come again. He will come in judgment. We confess that this morning together. And He will take vengeance upon those who persecute His people and who will not make use of the way of escape that is offered in the Gospel to all. We read about this in our meditation passage from 2 Thessalonians. I'll read it again. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, the the righteousness of God which David prays for, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and who do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. Note the same poetic justice that we've seen. He will afflict those who afflict you. Affliction for affliction. Being caught in the net which they have laid by their sinful deeds. But this judgment doesn't come now. It comes at Christ's return. And we can trust and we can rest in that. We can bless our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Because in some ways, just as David does, he knows it's not mine to repay. The Lord will handle that. How many times in the wilderness did David have the life of Saul in his hands? Yet he cut off a corner of his robe and spared him. He stole his spear, which could have driven through him into the ground. But David says judgment belongs to the Lord. And we in the same way can say, Lord, grant mercy to these people. Open your way of salvation through the gospel, even to those who persecute me and attack me without cause, who kick me when I'm down. If God does that, if He grants repentance to our enemies, they are no longer our enemies. We've gained brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can join in rejoicing with them in the deliverance of God from the penalty for our sins. But if they continue in steadfast unbelief, we have no need to take revenge ourselves or worry ourselves with that because we know that God will handle that. We know that Christ is coming to judge the quick and the dead. We know that Jesus Christ was not judged justly. He didn't get a fair trial. He was done wickedly. But we know that God vindicated Him. God overturned the ruling of humans who sent Him to death on the cross because He raised Him from the dead. He got justice in the end. And even when we get injustice now, we know that God will bring justice to us at last as well. That Christ will come again and Christ will answer these prayers of David. He will answer the prayers of all His saints who say, How long, O Lord? 
brothers and sisters, this truth is a call to receive the mercy of God. We want the angel of God to be the hedge protecting around us. Not the just avenger pursuing us through dark and slippery places. That is why we place our faith in Jesus Christ. It's also a call to share the mercy of God with others. Because that way is now open. And today is the day of salvation. And in grace, He delays His judgment so that more may come to know Him. It's also a call to leave justice in His hands. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And God indeed will repay. And when we are done wrong, we can take comfort in that. That God will make it all right in the end. Let's bow in prayer.